He is risen. Jesus declares to you, I am the resurrection. As we were singing our first hymn today, Charles Wesley's Christ the Lord is Risen Today, the very last line of the very last stanza, Hail the resurrection, thou. Uh, That's who we are declaring our praise to is not just one who has been raised from the dead. We are declaring Jesus to be the resurrection. As the resurrection, Jesus calls to life that which was dead. Now we are physically dying, and one day we will be physically dead. And as the resurrection, Jesus is the solution to physical death. But there is another death that is far more sinister, and that is the death of the soul. It is a death that separates us from God. It is a death that enslaves us to our own selfishness. And it is a death that, left unchecked, will lead us to an eternal hell. And just as Jesus is the solution to our physical death, Jesus is also the solution to our physical, our spiritual death. Turn with me to John chapter 11. This is the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And Jesus declaring himself to be the resurrection. And according to the book of John, this miracle is the climactic miracle in Jesus' earthly ministry. Of course, it's not greater than the resurrection itself, but it is the pinnacle of his earthly ministry. In fact, There are several um, I am statements that Jesus makes throughout the book of John, and this is an I am statement. I am the resurrection. It is this event, historically speaking, this event that triggers the crucifixion. It is because of this raising of Lazarus from the dead that the the Jewish leaders kick it up a notch and are intent on putting Jesus to death. Now before we delve into this wonderful miracle and this text before us in John 11, we need to look at a couple background facts that you just need to understand to gain the context. First off, you need to understand that Jesus has raised people from the dead before this. This is the first resurrection in the book of John. But in the other gospels, they make very clear that he had raised people from the dead before this time. And to put it even more amazingly, the disciples, when they were sent out, were given power to raise the dead. Okay? So then we have to ask the question, what makes the raising of Lazarus so special? Why is it so specially placed for us to move into an understanding of Jesus as the resurrection? 
The second kind of background fact that you need to understand is that most of the Jews already believed that there would be a resurrection of the dead at the end of the age. There were some Jews that denied this, and they were sad, you see, right? The Sadducees denied the resurrection. But most of the Jews held to a common belief that there would be a final resurrection at the end of the ages. They didn't doubt that the creator of the universe who thrust the whole universe into existence could then raise people from the dead at the end. They, they believed that. Which again asks the question, what makes the raising of Lazarus so special? So let's get into the text itself. So if you would, follow along with me if you have your Bibles. John chapter 11, we're not going to read the entire text together at first. We're just going to, I'm going to read portions and take us through it rather quickly. But we're going to look at verses 1 through 4 to start. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. The first thing that makes the story of Lazarus so special is that we are actually told his name. Now just feel this. If you had time this morning to read through the entire book of John, you would see that Jesus attended a wedding feast and changes water to wine, and we don't know the names of the couple. You would know that when he sat with the woman at the well and had an extended conversation of, with her, we never know her name. Jesus heals the official son at Capernaum, and we have no clue to the names of the father or the son. Jesus heals an invalid of 38 years, and we're never told the name. Jesus forgives a woman caught in adultery. She remains anonymous. The only time that we are given a name of someone that, that, that Jesus has had this personal interaction with besides the disciples is the Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is, you know, he comes to Jesus at night, and then he'll be influential in, in the resurrection as well. So Nicodemus, or the burial, so Nicodemus is important. But other than Nicodemus, there's no names of these people that Jesus has ministered to. So it comes as somewhat as a surprise when we get to Lazarus, we're actually given several verses explaining who he is. Now, it's not by accident if you look over at John 10, Jesus says he's the good shepherd. And as the good shepherd, what does he do? He calls people by name. I don't think John has placed John 10 and 11 so close together accidentally. Lazarus is important because he is a particular individual. Like Scott or Aubrey or Peter. He is a special, a specific person. And we need to read this story with that in mind. Now this Lazarus, just so you be clear, is not the beggar of Luke 16, you know, that, that we hear the famous story. He's the brother of Martha and Mary, 
And we are told that Jesus loved Lazarus. And even, I think, more startling, that Jesus considered Lazarus to be his friend. Everybody knew it. Mary and Martha said to him, hey, the guy that you love is ill. Verse 3. Verse 5, the narrator, John, tells us, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse 11, Jesus declares, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Now we all know that Jesus is a friend of sinners. He's a good friend to you. But how many of us could actually say, I am a good friend to Jesus? There is a relationship that Jesus has with Lazarus and with Mary and Martha that is truly special. And I believe it's this relationship that is the key to unlocking at least a portion of the beauty of this text. Is it not interesting that they don't even send uh, to Jesus with a request that he come. They just say, the one that you love is ill. They leave the response for Jesus to decide. They are confident in his love for Lazarus. And Jesus receives the news and he gives a response. And I believe this initial response in verse 4 is the response that is sent back with the messenger immediately. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And you are just going, that is a cryptic answer if I've ever heard one. I mean, could he not have said, hey, hold on, I will be there as soon as I can. Or better yet, I'm speaking the word and he'll be well. Or maybe, you know, he's going to die. But don't fret, because I'm going to raise him from the dead. He could have said any of those things. He doesn't say any of them. This illness will not end in death? What does that even mean? Will he get better on his own? And what do you mean the Son of God may be glorified through it? Glorified by being healed? Jesus' behavior after this message, the message itself is cryptic, but his behavior after this is even more confusing. So let's just assume the messenger delivers his message, gets Jesus' response, and he heads right back. Verse 5, verses 5 and 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now there's a reason why John has to tell you that Jesus loved them. Because these are not the actions of someone who loves another person. If you hear someone that you love is sick, you drop everything that you have and you go to their side as quickly as you possibly can. 
And so our conclusion is Jesus must be indifferent. He must not really care. And John says, don't make that conclusion. In fact, it's the exact opposite conclusion that you must draw. Jesus' love for Mary and Martha and Lazarus is so deep that he tarries two days. Jesus, in love, wants Lazarus to die. Hard to, hard to imagine. How's this going to work out? So two days later, he announces to his disciples, time to go see Lazarus. Verse 7 through 10. After, he, after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? Okay, the last time he was there, he got ran out of town. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a risk to go there. You may have even thought, oh, Jesus wants to go see Lazarus, but he's afraid to because he's in danger. Right? That's probably what the disciples were thinking. He knows he can't go back there. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light by the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Basically, Jesus says, my time is limited. And I'm going to die when I head to Jerusalem. Disciples, to their credit, are willing to go to their death as well. Verses 11 through 16. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, like This is obvious. If he has fallen asleep, he's going to recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. This is also strange. Jesus knows that Lazarus is now dead. And he makes the statement, I was glad that I was not there. Again, was Jesus truly indifferent to the suffering of Lazarus and Mary and Martha? Was he indifferent to the weeping and the crying? He cared for them so much. This is how I, I, it's not explicit, but I I really think this is the, the thrust of this. He cares for them so much, and he will be so affected by their suffering that he chooses to not be present because had he been present, he very likely would have either not allowed him to die or he would have raised him immediately. I'm glad I wasn't there. 
because I'm not sure I could have taken watching him suffer either, and I would have raised him sooner. Verses 17 to 20. Now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary, Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Now you have to get something of the timeline here. I don't want to confuse you, but hopefully it will be a little bit helpful. Jesus and his disciples are in the north near Batanea, B-A-T-A-N-E-A, 90 miles away from Bethany. Now you could typically walk about 25 miles in a day, so the journey would be about three to four days. On day one, picture day one, the messenger is sent to Jesus. On day four, the messenger arrives with the disciples. He he immediately turns around and leaves, so he would be getting back probably on day seven or eight. Jesus doesn't leave where he is until day six. And he arrives in Bethany on day 10. By this time, Lazarus has been in the tomb four days, meaning he either died on day six or even on day five. So even if Jesus had left immediately, he would have still died before he got there. Jesus intentionally wants to get there on day four of being in the tomb. Now, you have to understand that it was a Jewish superstition that when a person died, the soul of that person lingered over the body for up to three days before moving on to the afterlife. So being in a tomb four days was a big deal. And we have to remember that Jesus could have prevented Lazarus from getting sick in the first place. He could have healed him from a distance. The point of this story is to know Jesus as the resurrection. We're not talking about the resurrection of a person who has maybe quit breathing for a minute or two and they're resuscitated. Maybe their heart has stopped. We're not even talking about someone who's been brain dead for a few minutes. We're talking about someone whose flesh is decomposing. It would have not been any grander had Jesus raised John the Baptist from the dead who had been beheaded. Think about someone for a moment that you love and they have died. Maybe they've been buried for some time. Maybe they were even cremated. And you turn around the corner And there they are, standing, whole and complete in your presence. Now you begin to understand the magnitude of what Jesus is doing here. Martha comes to Jesus in verse 21 and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. You are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So there's a progression here. You need to understand what Martha comes into this interchange believing and what she, Jesus is asking her to believe more. She already believed Jesus was a prophet from God. She already believed that God listened to Jesus' prayers and what Jesus asked for, God did. She already believes that there will be a final resurrection at the end of the ages. And Jesus says, all of this, not enough. Not enough. Jesus wants Martha to know him for who he really is. I am the resurrection and the life. This is more than a statement that I can raise you from the dead. This is more than a statement that Jesus will be raised from the dead. It is a statement about Jesus' very being, the essence of who he is. He is the resurrection. He possesses life in himself. He is very life itself. And then he kind of explains himself, although Jesus' words are not easy to get. Verses 25 and 26. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now this, sta- this, this statement is hard to understand. If you, if you were to go home this afternoon and just look at these words and try to understand what is he saying in statement one, what is he saying in statement two, you know, what, what is he saying? It's not easy to understand. I think that he is using both live and die in two different ways in the text. At least he's doing it with a great amount of vagueness. And I'll try to give what I think he's getting at, um, and hopefully it'll be helpful to you. Whoever believes in me as the resurrection. So I'm inserting that, right? It's not just believe in Jesus in any way. It's believe in him as the resurrection. If you believe in Jesus as the resurrection and the life, though you die physically... Yet you shall live physically again. Okay? So I, think that, I, I think he's talking about physical. But then he says, and everyone who lives, and I think he means there spiritually, because I have resurrected their soul and believes in me, shall never die. And I think he means there spiritually die again, ever be separated from God again, and or eternally die. You will never experience eternal death. Ultimately, what Jesus is saying is that if you have my life in your soul, physical death is irrelevant. 
Jesus as the resurrection resurrects your soul, your heart. He gives life where there was only death inside of you. He takes that which is selfish and doesn't love God and he injects in you a new heart. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and cause you to follow my decrees and keep my laws. Jesus is saying, I am the one who does this. And if you have been given a new resurrected heart, physical death cannot even touch you. In fact, death is a liberation of the new heart as it's no longer encased in a dying body. And so I ask you here today, do you believe Jesus is the resurrection? Are you trusting in Him to give life to your soul today? Because if Jesus has given you spiritual life, physical death cannot harm you. Believing in Jesus Christ as the resurrection unites you to Jesus as the resurrection. Physical death must be endured, but it is not final for those who believe in Jesus. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. It doesn't matter if you've been decomposed in the grave. It doesn't matter if your head's been beheaded. It doesn't matter if you've been cremated. It doesn't matter whatever, because death cannot hold itself on you who are believing in Jesus as the resurrection. If you have Jesus has resurrected his life inside of your heart, then spiritual and eternal death is no longer yours. This is why it says that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So as we think about Jesus today and being the resurrection, do not just think of the the, the grandeur of the physical future resurrection, think of him having the power to take the deadness of your soul and bring it to life. And if you have not yet clung to Jesus to be your spiritual resurrection, do it on this day. Cry out to him, even as you're sitting here today, Lord Jesus, you are my resurrection. Martha declares it. I believe. Now this is very instructive for us. Martha is going through one of the greatest trials of her life. She's watched her brother die. And I'm telling you, Jesus gives her a theology lesson in the midst of her suffering. As a pastor, I've had a lot of opportunity to be with people during their death, and I'm telling you, it is not helpful to give them vague generalities. Show them Jesus. Call them to trust in Jesus as the resurrection. Vague understandings about Jesus do not help them in their time of death. 
Jesus alone has dealt with the guilt of your sin in his own death on the cross. Jesus alone can actually destroy the power of sin to to control you. Jesus is your resurrection. He is going to resurrect both body and soul eternally. This is the, the first driving lesson of this text. And you cannot, if you walk away from this and don't see the grandeur that Jesus possesses life in himself and he can fix every problem that you have, you've missed it. But there is a second point to this text. And I think it's one we often miss. And it is Jesus' great compassion in our suffering. Verses 28 to 37. Jesus interacting now with Mary. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. As an aside, there's two things going on in Mary. She is desperately disappointed with Jesus, and yet she is still under him and and loving him and trusting in him. She, She expresses both of those. Verse 33 is what I want you to see, though. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Lord, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the, man, of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? What we have before us now is not theological truth about Jesus being the resurrection. It is still theological truth, but it's different. It's much more a truth about how much he cares for you in your present suffering. Of the two sisters, Mary is the one who feels the betrayal even more so than Martha. She comes to him expressing her faith and weeping. And what does her weeping do to Jesus? Breaks his heart. John tells us that he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. The New American Standard actually says outraged in spirit. And the question is, was Jesus sad or was he angry? I think both. The Greek word actually uh, is, is uh, used of horses snorting, agitated, outrage, indignation. I do believe Jesus was angry. He doesn't tell us what he was angry at at this point, but he was angry. I don't think he was mad at Mary. He was like, what are you doing weeping? I'm the resurrection. Get your attitude better. I don't think he's even mad 
over uh, like the, the rest of the, the people uh, weeping with Mary. I believe that Jesus looks at the depth of the grief and the suffering that Lazarus's death has caused. And he becomes angry that someone whom he has already died or is going to die for and deal with their sin, and he is their resurrection, still has to endure such pain and suffering. And he hates to see the ones he loves hurt so much. These are his closest friends. He's not indifferent to their pain. He feels their pain. He knows that he's going to remove their suffering. He knows that he's about ready to raise them from the dead. But he still enters into their pain. So Jesus sets himself up as the solution to their problem. But he also sets himself up as the sharer in their pain. And this is what I think we struggle to know Jesus as. Oh, he's up in heaven. He's doing just fine right now. He doesn't understand my feelings. He doesn't understand the pains I'm going through. He doesn't understand the struggles. Where is Jesus? He's weeping. He's agitated because you have to suffer. His beloved friends. I mean, he's the resurrection. He wants you to have joy and peace and everything be fine. And here you are still struggling in this life. Do you know Jesus as the one who shares in your pain? He calls you by name. You are members of his bride. He didn't give us the story of Lazarus to say, well, that's pretty good for Lazarus, that he was a good friend of Lazarus, but that didn't do any good for me. He wants you to know that he knows you and your suffering. Think about a friend who has sat with you in difficult times. Think about someone who has been there for you when you felt like you had no one else there with you. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm your friend. I am your resurrection, but I am your friend. And it is as your friend who has endured daily sufferings with you that he is the one, as your friend, who will call you out of the grave. When you are suffering, you get angry. You ask why. You weep. 
these are normal expressions that we feel in this fallen world because death continues to be our last enemy. And I am thankful that Jesus just doesn't say, hey, hang in there, I'm on the other side. I'm here with you now is what he says. Now, you know the rest of the story, right? He raises Lazarus from the tomb, but guess what? Lazarus has to die again. (laughs) The story was never simply about Lazarus being given physical life. The story is twofold. Do you understand that Jesus is the resurrection and in every sense that you could possibly die, whether it be spiritual or physical, he has dealt with those. He is the solution. And secondly, do you believe he cares for you? Do you really believe he cares? Because I'm telling you, if you don't believe he cares, you'll not love him. If all you think is that he's going to raise you from the dead at the end and you're going to go to heaven, you won't love him. But if he is the one who has sat beside you and has been with you in every one of your struggles, you will love him. So are you trusting in Jesus as the resurrection? Do you believe that he can rip out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh? Do you believe that he will, yes, raise you from the dead on the final day? And do you believe that he truly cares? Because that's what he says. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe? Amen.